Well, hello, family. Let me begin by just uh, saying this. Jesus loves you. Even you. You guys ready to hear the good news? Okay, grab your Bibles. Open them up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Jesus is going to teach us about living the flourishing life by talking about the power of making beauty. And he's going to use two common uh, everyday metaphors to, to teach us about this, salt and light. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt and light, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may, be, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. We ask in the sacred name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So just to kind of remind us where this teaching, this sermon is taking place, Jesus is up on, the, up on top of a mountain. And Jesus is inviting everyone who's in the crowd, anyone who has ears to hear him, he's inviting them. This is a big invitation into the kingdom of God. That is to say, he's inviting them into a way of being in the world where we live under his loving rule and reign, and we're blessed by that. Jew and Gentile, men and women, religious and non-religious, he's saying, look, leave behind your way of finding uh, happiness and satisfaction and come into my way of living in the world and you'll experience abundant life. A life of flourishing. And so if you remember last week, we ended with Jesus uh, telling us that if we live uh, the Jesus way in the world, we're going to suffer. Uh, we're, we're going to be rejected by some people. We might even be persecuted. Remember that? He, he taught us that some people, not everyone, but some people will see that our deeds and our disposition is different than theirs. And they're going to feel threatened by that because they're not going to know what box to put us in. But in these verses today, Jesus seems to be just suddenly shifting gears, and now he's like all of a sudden talking about salt and light. And what's that all about? 
It's talking about shining in the world. But I want you to see that the, 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 this section, these two sections are actually very much related. They're very much, very much connected. Jesus is actually speaking into a fear that he knows that we will have if we live his way. So he's doing some pre, uh, preemptive medicine here work. Preemptive care. This is the fear that he knows we're going to have if we take his word seriously. The fear is that, look, if publicly living the Jesus way is going to bring me suffering, what steals me from the temptation of muting that way of living? In other words, what keeps, what keeps my faith in Jesus from becoming just this personal and very private faith. Instead, motivates me to continue to live that out publicly. And the answer that Matthew gives us that we find in the text today is our motivation comes from knowing that Jesus came to make us radiant. And this radiance will benefit other people in society. That's the motivation you got to fall back to, guys. you got to know that. And so we're going to look at each part of that statement in turn. First of all, Jesus is making us into a radiant people. And look in the text here with me. It's right here in verse 13 and 14. Jesus says these are parallelisms. He says, you are the salt of the earth, or you could say the land. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, anyone lost their taste lately? Anyone uh, feeling tasteless? That's weird, isn't it? But if salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city, a city that's set up on a hill, can't be hidden. And Matthew uses these two very common metaphors to explain what Jesus is doing in us. And we're supposed to read these metaphors together, not in isolation. It's not like sometimes we're salt, but then other times we're like light. No, we're, we are these things, okay? Uh, they, they mean uh, salt and light. These metaphors, they mean a variety of things all on their own, but when they're taken together as parallels, they mutually interpret one another. This is that whole uh, uh, Jewish wisdom tradition I told you about earlier, that Jesus, this is, this is Hebrew parallelism. He's giving some wisdom teaching here. And so they mutually interpret one another. And what I found really interesting as I was studying this, there's one, there's one place in scripture where these, the metaphor of salt and light overlap in meaning. Did you know that? Where they mean the same thing. And it's covenant. I learned something new this week. So now you guys learned something new. I didn't know that. Covenant, covenant relationship. You see, one of the functions of salt in the ancient world was 
enacting a lasting covenant relationship. People either would either give salt, sprinkle salt, or something they would just like literally eat salt as they were making this pact, this covenant. I'll give you one example, Leviticus 2.13. Uh, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. So you can put salt on your food. Think about that next time you're putting salt on your food. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let, get this, the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. And you could also go to Numbers 18, verse 19, or Ezra chapter 4, verse 14. There's like, it's all over the place. Isaiah is Matthew's favorite prophet to reference in his gospel. And uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah, um, light also refers to God making a covenant. Making a covenant with his people that will bless all the other nations in the world, everyone else in the world. I found that really interesting. And so you see these metaphors, they, they overlap in this one area of covenant relationship, of making a people of God. Look, Isaiah 42, verse 6. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. See, covenant and light, light and covenant, salt and covenant. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, or as Jesus is going to say hundreds and hundreds of years later, uh, you are the light of the nations. You're the light of the world. The people that the Lord is creating will become light. They will become radiant and beautiful. Get this, precisely because they live in a covenant relationship with him. And that radiance will be an attractive, beautiful light to the rest of the world, to all the other people in the world. They're going to see that light and go, that's attractive. And we say, yeah, we live under someone's authority. And they're like, come again? Because that's pretty beautiful. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, the, the, the word for you that's translated in the Greek is actually second person plural. So he, Jesus is not talking about you as an individual Christian or as an individual person, seeker, whatever. He's talking about a group of people, the Christian community or the community of faith. He's saying y'all are the light of the world, living together. That's what we're doing today. That's why we need to come be together. This is an embodied faith. Jesus has come not merely to make individuals beautiful points of light in a dark world, but he's come, he's saying, to create a new kind of community in the world. And that's why he also says that we living together are, he say, is a city on a hill. One person living in a tent out in the woods is not a city. Amen? Amen. A city by definition, is or a town, is many people living together under some form of governance within certain infrastructures according to certain customs and traditions 
So in other words, a town or a city is many people, get this, you may not have thought about it this way, it's, it's many people that are actually making an agreement to live together and to work together in such a way that is that more is produced than could be produced all by ourselves. And this is what's breaking down right now. People don't know that they live in an agreement when they live in a town. But you do. And we're supposed to show them the way, the church. But that's what makes a city. People covenanting to collaborate in a very unique way that stands out against the dark night, like the lights on the hill in Bremerton. That's how you know there's a city on that hill over there. Because when it's dark, you see all the lights lit up. All those people living together and working together, and you see the big white bright light, and that's not Jesus, that's a shipyard, right? That's how you know Bremerton's over there. You see all those people that have agreed for whatever reason to live together and work together and produce stuff together over there. Listen, this is what Jesus is creating in you and you, in you, in you, in you, and in me. Together. Together. A beautiful, light-giving, radiant people who live in covenant relationship with him and with one another. People from every political tribe, in every foreign language, in every earthly nation and custom, agreeing to love one another and live the Jesus way together. And the more that we live this way, the more that we are shaped by our leader. The more beauty, the more of his virtue emerges in us. The more we live under Jesus' loving rule, the more that attractive light just radiates out into our dark, dying world. People see our light and they go, look, I don't know what that is. I don't know why you do some of those weird things that you do, but I'm like, because I don't know what that is, but like, I want that. Can I be a part of that? Scripture often uses the illustration of a bride that radiates beauty. I mean, it's all over the Bible. Revelation 21, verse 2 and 3. So in John the Revelator, his vision, he says, I saw the holy, what's that word? City. What's a city? So he's seeing people, right? He's not seeing like concrete. (laughs) He's seeing people living together, right? Didn't Jesus say you're a city? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is coming down out of heaven. So this isn't us going up. This is heaven coming down. That's the direction this is coming. Down to earth. From God. Listen, and this is what this city looks like. This people prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We do not cover up a bride in sackcloth on her wedding day, right? I mean, if you want to live, you don't. That's not our custom. That's not the tradition. 
The tradition's different, but like culture across the world, trans world, no one puts like sackcloths on the bride. Nor do we hide her out in the crowd where she just kind of blends in with everyone else that showed up for the wedding, right? We don't do that. What do we do? We fix up her hair. We fix up her nails. We unveil her face. She doesn't, she doesn't go with her face veiled the whole time. We unveil her face so we can see her smiling face, right? And we slowly walk her down, right, right down the center of the church. And we have everyone turn and look at her. And we put her right in the front where all eyes are on her and her groom. Why? Because it's an old meaningless tradition. Right? Because it's, all of those things are pregnant with meaning in symbolism, in liturgy, that changes people that witness it. Why do we do this with a bride? Because, listen, the covenant that they are entering into is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that they're making. It wasn't there, and now it's there. It wasn't made, and now they're making it. They're making a covenant. And it's a beautiful thing that they're doing. And, and because she's been made beautiful, which is very fitting for the event that's taking place. She's been prepared to represent what is happening between the two of them. That's why. And by the way, this beauty of what's actually, something is going on on that, in that event, on that day. It's not about romance. It's about a covenant. And it's beautiful and soft and gentle and wonderful and giving of light, right? That beauty that they're making, listen, it radiates over all the people in the room that are bearing witness to it. Does it not affect you when you see that in the room in real time, amen? Regardless of like how big or small, does it not affect you? You have to respond to that. And you should ask yourself, why? What is going on in my body? You're seeing someone been made beautiful for something that is going to be made, which is beautiful, this covenant. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The couple's light is actually calling out to the crowd as they behold the radiance of the bride and the groom and the covenant that they're entering into. The beauty and the light that's created in that moment powerfully greets and calls to everyone that's witnessing to it. That's one of the unbelievable things to me about beauty. It greets us like nothing else. Not like truth, not like goodness. It greets us and says, hey, come on in. It greets to all the witnesses. It says, come in with us. Come into this moment. Come into this covenant. Be changed as we are being changed right before your very eyes. And doesn't it change you? Change your imagination and change your feelings and your thoughts for that moment. You go back and think about maybe your vows. You think about all kinds of things. It's changing us. This is the power of beauty. 
This is what Christ is gradually doing, brothers and sisters, in us as we walk his way together. As we are quicker to embrace our poverty of spirit, you become more radiant. You're flourishing. You're not losing. As we more deeply ache for his kingdom to come in our, in our life, as we hunger and thirst for more of his righteousness to be made manifest in our interactions, as we are more merciful to our enemies than we were last year, Jesus makes us radiant and glorious just as he is glorious. I'll show you Colossians 1, 27. To them he has chosen to make known. This is another purpose of beauty. Christians, we're just, we have no idea, we just don't value beauty like we ought to. This is part, another part of the purpose of it. Beauty makes things known that are hidden. And ugly covers things that ought to be known. He's chosen to make known among the Gentiles. That's the world. That's the nations, right? The glorious riches of this mystery. And here's the mystery. You ready? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So yes and amen, when we live the Jesus way, we will presently experience uh, rejection. We will presently experience suffering from some people. Yes, but we will also presently experience becoming radiant and glorious people. And who doesn't want to experience more of that? <laughs> like, who doesn't want to physically, emotionally, mentally, like, personally experience more of that? This is the other, this is the, you know, the rest of the story. Okay? Here's the second motivation for living publicly this, this Jesus way of living. His radiance is compelling to others. This is what he's doing in us, but what he's doing in us has another effect. It's compelling to others. It's here in the text, in verse 15 and 16. Jesus says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And listen, and it gives light to some in the house. It gives light to all in the house. In that same way, here's the application, you ready? In that same way, let your light shine before others so that, here's the purpose, so that they may see your good works and give you glory for that. Say, what a great righteous person you are, standing for the truth. It's not what it says. This is what Jesus says. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, your Father in heaven. Christ is making us a radiant people, and his radiance is compelling to others. So regardless of what you've been told, that it's like nobody's going to want to be a Christian, everyone hates Christians, and blah, blah, blah. No, Jesus says otherwise. There's some of that, but there's some of this. 
They're going to be compelled by that. They're going to be attracted to that. Listen, it's like when you put a lamp on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house indiscriminately. Right? The light doesn't go like duck, duck, goose, you know. I mean, it's like every if you're in the house when the lamp's on, you get to, depends on how close or far away, but you get light. Whether you like it or not. You get the benefit of the light. Everyone in the area benefits from the radiance of that light. In the same way, Jesus says that when we live in covenant with Christ, everyone else around us should benefit from the beauty that Christ is making in us indiscriminately. Okay? So we're not just out for the good for Christians, are we? Rather good for everybody. And that's the reputation we should have. I'm out for your good. I'm out for your neighborhood to be lit up and mine. Not just mine. Right? By the way, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, but he uses a different metaphor. He uses the metaphor of smell instead of the metaphor of sight. He says in chapter 2, for we are... Like Jesus says, you are this. Paul's saying, we are the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are an aroma. We give off the church, and this church gives off an aroma. Verse 16. To one, a fragrance from death to death, but to the other, fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for such things? What's your odor? What's your fragrance? Ask someone that's not a Christian. Ask somebody that's not a Christian if you want a real answer. You ever smell the mouse that died in the wall of your house? Just me? Anyone smell a dead mouse in your wall? Death has a really distinct rotting smell, does it not? Like there is no mistaking the smell of death for like anything else on the planet, right? It is repugnant. It is repulsive. It's like I do not want to like for five minutes cohabitate with the smell of death, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like it makes you want to do things. Like, get me out of the house or get, or tear the wall down or like, okay? And, and, and listen, Jesus and Paul says, we're going to be that fragrance to some people. But that's not the whole story. Here's the good news. Here's the other truth. To some who experience us living the Jesus way, we are going to smell like the fragrance of new life, brothers and sisters. You know? Like cinnamon rolls on Saturday morning. You know what I'm saying? That's what you're going to smell like to them. You too, the band You Too, uh, has a song that says, freedom has a scent like the top of a newborn's baby's head. You ever held your little baby? Smell the top of their head because that's as far up as they go, you know. 
Smells like life, doesn't it? And that smell like life, that's the smell of life, the top of a newborn baby's head. You ever smell roses in full bloom? You picture that aroma? Try it. You ever smell them? What's that smell like? That's sweet, and it smells like new life, doesn't it? It smells like hope. Some, listen to this. This is, I know this is hard to believe. I know this sounds totally crazy. Some people will see the beauty that Christ is making in us, and it'll be like a spotlight shining in their eyes. Right? But listen, some will see his radiance, and listen, Jesus promises it is going to be attractive, like the warm glow of a fire to a traveler on a frosty night. It really will. It really will. This is the power of beauty. It will be compelling in a way that no argument for truth for the gospel can compel someone. They see the beautiful light of Christ coming out of us, and they want to just come stand in the, in the light, just come stand in that firelight. I mean, I don't know if I want to come and be like in the, in the ring, but can I just come stand by the firelight? They will. And you should expect it. You should be optimistic and not pessimistic. And they see Christians loving people that society says we should distrust and hate. Seeing Christians speak the truth instead of repeating falsehoods or slander. Seeing us keeping our vows when it is hard. Showing mercy instead of vengeance to our enemies. Hungering to live righteously instead of hungering for more power. That will look compelling to some people, many people. Because they're like, I don't know that way. They'll see a society, they'll see that society actually is better because of all the Christians that are living the Jesus way in their town. It is better for all of us. They'll see that being an alternative community, a city within the city, that is beautiful, and they want to be a part of that city. What am I talking about? The city of God, the new Jerusalem. Here is what Jesus is saying. Listen, when we live the Jesus way together in the world, our community of faith will transform the lives of others. It will transform the lives of others. If we take this stuff seriously, this is going to transform the lives of other people as a community. They will want to be a part of that culture. And guess what? Jesus says they'll give glory to God in heaven, your Father in heaven. That's how certain he is of it. The way the Messiah is going to transform our society is not through weapons of culture war, but through instruments of gardening. This is the power of making beauty that he wants his people to understand. And this has been the message that has always been said. God has been saying this forever. This is not a new thing that just happened when Jesus showed up. Like I, God gave me this verse as I was, I was preparing. I want to read it. Isaiah 2, verse 4 and 5. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. That means people groups. 
And here's what happens when he does this. Listen, here's the result of this. They shall beat their swords. That's a weapon of warfare. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. That's a gardening tool. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares, and they're going to beat their spears into pruning hooks, pruning shears. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn warfare anymore. And then, he, then here's verse 5. He turns to God's people. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Doesn't this sound a lot like Jesus, the Messiah, on this mountain? Jesus is creating through an alternative, creating beauty through an alternative community that is marked by radiant light and virtuous lives. This is the way. This is the way, guys. You don't have to guess what the way is. He has shown you the way. Jesus is the way. So what? So don't hide what Jesus is making you into. Don't mute that. Let your light shine. Let your light shine before all people. Let God change you more and more. Let him change you. Let your deeds and your disposition become more like Jesus because others will be blessed by that. Others will benefit from that. Maybe even in your own household under your same roof. So here's some application, some easy homework for you, okay? Easy homework this week. This week, what I want you to do, just for fun, go back to the Beatitudes. Just read through the Beatitudes again and pray about it. Pick just one of those to pay attention to this week, okay? We change by what we pay attention to. So pick one to pay attention to this week. So maybe for you, it's flourishing are the merciful, okay? And so in this example, uh, each day of that week, that's the one thing you're going to pay attention to in your interactions with people at church or at school or at work or in the neighborhood or, you know, wherever. You're going to pay attention to flourishing are the merciful because they're going to be showed mercy, right? So you pray like, Lord, give me the power to be merciful to people that are not like me. Give me mercy, help me be merciful to people that are my, that spite me. And so you don't have to focus on all this. Just pay attention to that one thing. Let me show up in all my meetings as merciful, just as you are merciful to me. And so maybe for this week, uh, collaborate with Jesus. Co-create with Jesus on that one way of being in the world and just see how he transforms you. See what he does with his pruning hooks and plowshares. I mean, he is the Messiah, right? And then next week, pick a different one. Collaborate with Jesus. Isn't that what a city is? We collaborate, right? So collaborate with Jesus and then pay attention to the gardening that he's doing in your soul that week. Maybe you decide to collaborate with someone else in the church. You give them a call, write them an email, say, hey, let's do this together just for a week. Together we're going to find a way to be poor in spirit. 
And we're going to pay attention to that this week. Like, I need God in all things. Or uh, uh, show mercy. And we're going to check in with each other at the end of the week. And we're just going to see what emerged. You don't have to make this happening. You can't make gardening happening. You just kind of do part of the work and it emerges. And just see what emerges at the end of the week and then celebrate it. All right? Celebrate the new life that's coming out of your life. Jesus has come to make you and I radiant by helping us live his way in the world. And that radiance will be attractive and compelling to others. So let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let's pray. A light of the world, we love you and we thank you that you have said we are the light of the world. Um, you've come to change us, to make us into light. You've come to make us uh, glorious and bright and beautiful. I pray that you do that work in our hearts. I pray that you would give us the want. Just help us pay attention to one thing this week that, you, that you're wanting us to, to do. Help us show up the, your way. Just one area and just see what you do. I pray that your Holy Spirit and your power would make that possible, would make it happen. And I can't wait to see what you're going to do this week in our lives. We love you, Jesus. You are beautiful. Make us beautiful like you. So others will be blessed. Amen.